0: This morning, we press on in Jesus's Beatitudes from his Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew. Two weeks ago, verse three told us that the poor in spirit, those who recognize their need for God's help, are blessed. And last week, we read in verse four that those who mourn are blessed as well. Jesus says that their state of grief is a good place to be. Because they will be comforted. Now when Jesus says that. He's not out of touch with our sorrow. Or insensitive to our pain. But he does point our eyes to an eternal comfort. That is more real and more powerful. Than even our deepest heartache. And while following Jesus does not mean. That we'll never mourn again. It does mean that we can grieve with hope. His resurrection assures us that there is comfort that outweighs the mourning we experience in this fallen world. Now, this week's beatitude may sound similar to the first one, the one about being poor in spirit. But to be honest, this beatitude may be even harder to pin down than that one was. It's one of those virtues, characteristics, or traits that isn't exactly easy to define. On top of that, this beatitude may be particularly challenging to understand and apply because we sometimes confuse it with other attitudes, other dispositions that really are not blessed at all. We may assume that the posture Jesus talks about in verse 5 is no virtue. If anything, it's a vice. But if we can gain a solid understanding of what Jesus is saying and clear away the weeds of what he isn't saying, we can be blessed by these words. We can find ourselves in a good place, one of peace, contentment and rest in the midst of the rat race that is our fallen world. So open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5 verse 1. Feel free to use one of our Bibles if you didn't bring one and take a Bible home if you don't have one. But before we read, let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for your son Jesus. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your inspired word. And thank you for the gift of your church. I pray that you would watch over us as we worship you today. And as wonderful as it is to come into a well-lit, warm sanctuary when it's wet and gray outside, remind us that we're not just here for our own personal comfort, as great as that is. We're here to glorify you. So I pray that we wouldn't just come here to find Like-minded people, just to have something to do in a boring month of the year, I pray that we would be here to worship you, to honor you, to ascribe to you the glory and the strength that you deserve from people made in your image. Thank you that you've redeemed us through your son, Jesus Christ, who calls us together. Thank you for the reminder that we have of that in the bread and the juice of communion. Thank you for the privilege of prayer that the same body and blood that was broken and shed on the cross to justify us in the face of our sin also grants us the privilege and the right to come into your presence in prayer. And so, Lord, thank you for this great honor of praying to you, calling you our father, calling you our Lord, knowing that we are your children and your servants by your grace. And again, be with us as we attend to your word today. Help us receive your word as the gift that it is, the lamp unto our feet and the light unto our paths. Lord, give us humility, give us wisdom, give us discernment, give us open hearts and open minds to hear from your word this morning. Again, we love you, we praise you, we thank you, we ask this all in Christ's name, amen starting in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The first question of the morning is fairly obvious. What does Jesus mean when he uses the word meek? Meek is not a word that we typically hear, say, or read these days. And if we do, we don't always use it in a positive light. Even worse, we may conflate it with other words that can be extremely unhelpful in understanding this verse. The most common mistake that we make is assuming that this word meek means the same thing as the word weak. When we describe someone as meek, we're often presenting them as some fragile, lacking confidence coward. A meek person is one who refuses to speak up when they should. An indecisive, limp-wristed, spineless doormat who never learned how to give a firm handshake. And that's not the sort of person we want to be, is it? But when Jesus says that the meek are blessed, he's not just using another word for weak. To be meek is to be gentle, considerate, or even courteous. A meek person doesn't obnoxiously throw their weight around, always insist on getting their way, or constantly feel the need to puff out their chest. In the ancient world, meek was sometimes used to describe beautiful, strong, but tame animals. It was associated with a pleasant breeze or soothing medicine. It was also closely related to the virtue of self control. As a result, meekness was highly desirable for earthly rulers. So, if you put that all together, meekness is not the same as weakness. It's close to humility, closer than poor in spirit was a couple of Sundays ago. But upon further examination, Being meek is more than just being humble. Turn to Psalm 37, starting in verse 1. King David writes there. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Many commentators believe that in Matthew 5, 5, Jesus is intentionally alluding to, if not explicitly quoting, Psalm 37. So what do we learn about meekness in that passage? Well, in Psalm 37, the meek do not have worldly power, privilege, and pride. More than that, they may even find themselves oppressed by those who do. But despite their humble position, these people do not fret. We saw that repeated throughout the passage. They do not fret. They do not fear. They trust God. They live in faithful obedience to him and they delight in him, even in the midst of hardship. They wait for God to act on their behalf rather than taking matters into their own hands. They don't try to save themselves. In other words, the meek are those who find their rest, security and salvation in the Lord. Not in worldly power, status, accomplishments, prosperity, or prestige. And though they may experience some temporary oppression right now, and yes, many may accuse them of being weak, the meek are the ones who are actually blessed. And according to Jesus, meekness is the way of his disciples. The meek disciple of Christ is in a better place than the most powerful earthly ruler. But Matthew 5 and Psalm 37 are not the only places in Scripture where this posture of meekness is praised. Take Moses, who was anything but weak, by the way but is described as more meek than all the people on the face of the earth in Numbers chapter 12, verse 3. The Apostle Paul lists meekness, which may be translated gentleness in your Bible, among the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, verse 23. He also includes it in the standards for elders in First Timothy chapter 3, verse 3. And Jesus' own brother ties meekness directly to wisdom in James chapter 3, verse 13. Of course, more could be said to help us understand meekness. It's the opposite of a sense of entitlement, self-aggrandizement, or desire to take vengeance. In a way, to be meek is not to lack all confidence. Rather, it's to place all of one's confidence in God rather than in oneself. One theologian puts it this way The meek are those who are not easily provoked with injuries, who are not short and testy upon every offense. But are ready rather to suffer anything than to do the things that the wicked do. Men and women who conclude not to resist evil but overcome evil with good. They are not of nature fierce and desirous ever of revenge. But mild, tractable, courteous, soft, gentle, easily forgiving a wrong if it is done to them. Hating chidings, contentions and strife ready to give place to everybody and choosing rather with a quiet mind to commit all to God than with intemperate heat to pursue his own right. That's about as good of a summary as you're going to read. So with that in mind, we now have some idea of what this word meek means and what a meek person might look like. But the next question is, why would Jesus call them blessed? He calls them blessed because they will inherit the earth. They will inherit the earth. When you hear the phrase, inherit the earth, in the Bible, it's hard not to think of the Old Testament Israelites. After God delivered them from slavery in Egypt, he committed to fulfilling his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob from generations earlier to bring Israel to the promised land of Canaan. And that inheritance, that piece of ground, was a testament to God's righteousness, faithfulness, and power. That's why the first generation of Israel's refusal to enter the land was punished so severely. And why their exile from the land, hundreds of years later, was so devastating. Tragically, Israel's sin caused them to thwart the inheritance that God gave them. But by the time we get to the New Testament, where we are this morning... While God is the same righteous, faithful, and powerful God there, whom we read about in the Old Testament, his promise that his people will inherit the earth does shift a little bit. It's not only for Abraham's children. It's for all who look to God in faith. And it's not about physical territory, national sovereignty, or a dot on a map It's about something better. To inherit the earth in the New Testament means to enter God's kingdom by faith in his son. And that's why Jesus' meek disciples are blessed. And just like the promised land was in the Old Testament, God's kingdom is not secured or possessed through strength of will, raw power, or human grit. It's inherited by those who humbly, faithfully, and consistently trust in God more than they trust in themselves. The meek will inherit the earth. We Christians eagerly look forward to the day when God's kingdom comes. As we read in the Lord's Prayer on earth as it is in heaven, We live as citizens of God's kingdom now. We try to display it to those who don't know it. We even work hard to make our tiny corners of this fallen world a little bit more like it. But we also recognize that we can't realize, establish, or build God's kingdom the way the world does its kingdoms. Brute force is not the way to inherit the earth. Meekness is. And how do we know that? Not just because of what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, but because Jesus embodied meekness himself. For the third time this morning, we're going to read from 1 Peter chapter 2. That was not intentional, not coordinated. So that may be God trying to tell us something. First Peter chapter two, starting in verse 13. Be subject to the Lord's for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. One endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. But have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Again, the way of meekness may look like weakness in the eyes of the world. Even good Christians like us bristle at the words that we read in First Peter chapter two, especially that phrase, "Be subject to. Ugh. Following in Jesus' steps by loving our enemies, turning the other cheek, honoring everyone, enduring suffering, bearing insults, foregoing rights, refusing to get even, and declining the opportunity to take revenge may make us look like pushovers. And in some ways, maybe we are. But we're also Jesus' disciples. We are blessed. Because in the end... We will inherit the earth. Maybe you've heard the tongue-in-cheek phrase, it's hard to be humble. It originated with an 80s country song, but has recently experienced a kind of revival. Someone may publicly announce an award they received, a goal they reached, or some other grand accomplishment, and declare... It's hard to be humble. Those words are self-empowering. They exude confidence, pride, or as the youth say, swagger. And you know what? Those people are right. It really is hard to be humble, isn't it? More specifically, it's hard to be meek. And that's especially true when we feel like we've been wronged. When we're wronged, it's tempted to immediately jump to defend our rights. Kick and scream about injustice and demand restitution. And don't get me wrong. There are times when we should do those things. But to be meek is to recognize that as Christians... Our rights, our feelings, and even our sense of justice are not always the most important things in the world. At times, followers of Jesus will suffer. And when that happens, rather than taking matters into our own hands, sometimes we simply have to trust God to work things out for us. Like we saw in Psalm 37. It's also hard to be meek when we're in the minority. Now, I'm no more excited than you are to talk politics on Sunday morning in an election year. But we Christians would do well to recognize that our fears about our faith's waning influence on the powers that be The moral deterioration of our country and the general sense that Christians who actually take the Bible seriously are looked down upon in many segments of society. As legitimate as those worries might be. They are not solved by raw political power. Trust me, I believe the United States of America is a mess in many ways. And I want our country to look less like Babylon and more like Jerusalem. But when we Christians are in the minority, the silver bullet solution is not to impose our faith, our standards, and our influence on others from the top down. Our first step is to work from the ground up. To be faithful, humble, and meek, witnesses to the truth of the gospel in our small circles of influence and trust God to do the rest. It's also hard to be meek when we feel underappreciated. So much of life today is one big competition to be noticed, get praise, and feel significant. We'll do just about anything for public affirmation. We feel increasing pressure to prove our worth. We buy into the idea that the only life worth living is the one that everyone sees. And frankly, that's exhausting. But to be meek is to recognize that the only praise we really need is God's. The only affirmation that matters in the end comes from our gracious Father. Our true worth comes from being made in God's image, saved through Christ's body and blood, and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Not from people outside of us, and not from something we muster up from within us. You know, in an ironic way, it's a little bit easier to be meek when we find our security in Christ. Because no matter what the world thinks of us, No matter how often it feels like we're being walked all over, ignored, or taken for granted, our rest is in Christ's person and work. And no one and nothing in this world can take that away from us. One day, we will inherit the earth. We will inherit the kingdom. And that means we can afford to give up some rights now. We can afford to be on the receiving end of some abuse here and there. We can afford to lose some battles every once in a while. Because in the eternal scheme of things, we have nothing to prove. The history of the early church shows us a group of meek disciples of Jesus living faithfully to their God, regardless of the worldly consequences. In 130 AD, so roughly a 100 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, a Christian named Mathetes, which is the Greek word for disciple, wrote an apologetic letter defending the Christians to a man named Diognetus. And Mathetes wrote this, For the Christians are distinguished from other men, neither by country nor language, nor the customs which they observe. For they neither inhabit cities of their own, nor employ a peculiar form of speech, nor lead a life which is marked out by any singularity. The course of conduct which they follow has not been devised by any speculation or deliberation of inquisitive men. Nor do they, like some, proclaim themselves the advocates of any merely human doctrines. But inhabiting Greek as well as barbarian cities, according as the lot of each of them has determined, and following the customs of the natives in respect to clothing, food, and the rest of their ordinary conduct, the Christians display to us their wonderful and confessedly striking method of life. They dwell in their own countries, but simply as sojourners. As citizens, they share in all things with others, and yet endure all things as if foreigners. Every foreign land is to them as their native country, and every land of their birth as a land of strangers. They marry, as do others. They beget children, but they do not destroy their offspring. They have a common table, but not a common bed. They are in the flesh, but they do not live after the flesh. They pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. They obey the prescribed laws and at the same time surpass the laws by their lives. They love all men and are persecuted by all. They are unknown and condemned. They are put to death and restored to life. They are poor, yet make many rich. They are in lack of all things and yet abound in all. They are dishonored and yet in their very dishonor are glorified. They are evil spoken of and yet are justified. They are reviled and blessed. They are insulted and repay the insult with honor. They do good yet are punished as evildoers. When punished, they rejoice as if quickened into life. They are assailed by the Jews as foreigners ...and are persecuted by the Greeks. Yet those who hate them are unable to assign any reason for their hatred. Any guesses on what the early Christians' most effective form of evangelism was? It was meekness in the face of persecution. It made their faith public. It forced those watching to ask questions about Jesus... And it even won them some sympathy. Those early Christians were meek as they were marched to lions. Or as they were burned at stakes. Or as they were crucified like their Lord. But they were not weak. And they will inherit the earth. They will be welcome in God's kingdom and the same will be true of all who believe. We can rest from our labors of trying to save ourselves, prove ourselves, defend ourselves, realize ourselves, or justify ourselves. The incarnate, crucified, resurrected, ascended, and soon to return Jesus Christ, our gentle and lowly Savior, is all the affirmation, Confidence and security that we need in eternity. That means that by the power of the Spirit, His disciples can be humble. We can be meek now. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time we've had together. Thank you for your Son, Jesus. Thank you for your word, as challenging as it can be, as seemingly unnatural as it can be, as much as it can swim upstream to so much of what we're used to seeing, so much of what we're used to hearing, so much of what we're used to reading. Lord, help us be meek. Help us be secure in you. Help us rest in you to the point of not feeling the need to defend ourselves, save ourselves, prove ourselves really to anyone or anything. Lord, help us look forward to inheriting the earth, even if it feels like the way of following you right now doesn't get us anywhere on earth. Help us look forward to our eternal reward. Lord, help us be faithful to you. And not fret over all the things that occupy our minds, over all the things that demand our attention, over all the things that inspire our deepest worries and insecurities and fears. Help us wait patiently for you. Help us be meek as we do it. And trust that in the end, you will come through for us. We will inherit the earth. Your promises will be fulfilled, and in that sense, we have nothing to fret over. Lord, find us faithful when you come in power and glory. Help us stay awake. Help us make good use of the time. And one way to do that is being meek. By the power of your Spirit, help us obey this beatitude. And Lord, bless us as we do. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.